Welcome back to Held and Healed. This is a resource filled with resources to help you on your healing journey. It is also a wonderful place for people um, who are helpers of those who have suffered from domestic violence and other forms of abuse to come and learn. So we thank you so much for the time that you take to listen each week. And today I am here to introduce you to someone that I met last year, L. Renee. She is a part-time freelance graphic designer. She was previously the technical director for Give Her Wings, which is where I met, met her. So she was facilitating and organizing our sessions um, each week, and that's where I first um, encountered Elle. She's a coach and content creator with Elle Renee Studio, and she offers parental alienation consultation sessions. Welcome to Held and Healed, Miss Elle. Hi, Heather. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am ready to learn all kinds of good stuff from you. I was looking at my notes from Give Her Wings Academy and the lessons that you taught were fell around September of last year. So I have a whole binder full of notes, 52, all 40, you know, 48 weeks of content. And so this is a topic that we desperately need more information on. So thank you for being willing to come and teach us today yeah, about, about this concept that you are familiar with. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, beyond that bio and why you are passionate about helping people recover from abuse? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, um, I'm a mom, first of all. I'm, uh, I was about to say I'm a single mom, but I actually just got married last week. I wasn't going to say it unless you said it. I was going to wait for your lead. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations to you, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So I have four children. Um, They are ages 15 to 22. And um, when I was separated and, and launched myself down a path of divorce for my ex, that was 10 years ago. So they were just ages um, five to 11 at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my last 10 years have been very full, very quite, quite the journey. And um, I would say my experience with the divorce process would be labeled as like the high conflict custody divorce. And that opened my eyes to um, how the church handles divorce. It opened Mm. my eyes to how family court handles divorce, how family court handles custody and all the professionals that are involved with that. And we'll definitely touch on that. And um, I'd say around six or seven years ago, I started to meet other women who were walking some similar paths and then some far more difficult paths than even mine, and um, just really started to hear their stories. And I got involved with Giver Wings and just really had a heart for helping other survivors walk all the different challenges, you know, that come with leaving abusive Um, spouse and trying to raise their children and so forth. And anyway, within that helping other survivors, I started to realize that there are a lot, um, a lot of 
moms and dads, but obviously I work more with moms who are experiencing something called, or often referred to as parental alienation. And it's just a next level form of abuse, enormous suffering. And I really just had a heart for advocating for these moms, advocating for any survivors, but helping to just put a voice to what they're experiencing and just to raise awareness so that they feel more seen and heard because as you know, so often as survivors, your voice is taken away, your power and autonomy is taken away. And um, yeah, just trying to advocate and create a space where survivors can practice using their voice again, they feel like they're being validated and kind of given, being reminded that they have permission to use their voice in any way that they need to and see fit. So absolutely. Yeah. that's and, how. I and, and while sometimes we say labels, we don't like labels. There are other times that labels are necessary because you cannot heal from what you do not name mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't recognize. And so, you know, think about it with our physical bodies. If we don't know the disease that we're trying mm-hmm. to treat, then we can't treat it. So I understand, I understand why there's a hesitancy and we'll, we'll talk about that some, mm-hmm. why there's a hesitancy to use certain labels, but it's like this light bulb goes on when you put a name to it. And so many are suffering from this reality, but they didn't know it actually had a name. So let's start there. Let's talk because you and I have discussed this a little bit. Let's talk about the labels and the different names that can be used um, and why the right place to use the labels and the wrong place to use the labels. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, Let me go ahead to and just give a quick definition for parental alienation, just for anyone listening who isn't completely familiar with this term. Um, It's really just the process or the result of psychological manipulation of a child into showing unwarranted fear or disrespect or hostility towards the other parent and even other family members. It is a severe form of psychological abuse and family violence. It's most often seen and experienced in custody. It's not actually limited to that, but that's most often where it's going to present. But yes, the term parental alienation is quite controversial. So (laughs) um, that's that's an understatement. But um, so let me just, yeah, speak on kind of the history, where this term even originated and why the controversy and some other labels then that we can use as well. So Parental alienation, right now at least, it's the most popular term or like most well-known term to describe this family violent phenomenon or pathology of this type of estrangement between a parent and a child. And this term um, was labeled by a psychologist named Dr. Richard Gardner. This was back in the 1980s. He worked extensively as a forensic psychologist and evaluator for child custody cases. Um, so this term he originated based on the observations that he was making from the, you know, families that came in, but one, just to be clear, it's not, um, scientific or like clinical data. This isn't a term that would be found in the DSM five, which is basically the psycholo- psychologist handbook of diagnoses. Okay. Um, but it just, like you were saying, it just gave a, a language right. that, that didn't exist before. So it just gave language to what he was observing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, 
Later, it was also discovered that this particular psychologist, Dr. Gardner, also had very disturbing beliefs regarding pedophilia. So that obviously flagged a lot of people as it should. Sure. And it undermined um, his work or his, you know, perspectives on this and so forth. Uh, that, so, that's good to know, because I know if people start researching, exactly. you, can't, you can't always throw out the baby with the bathwater. Exactly. Like he may have had some bizarre beliefs about some horrific things, but at the same time, if he gave some clarity to this reality, it doesn't mean that we totally dismiss that idea. Right. It, right, right. Exactly. That's my argument towards that. Yeah. And that was yeah. the, um, there were pl- a handful of other psychologists, well um, respected re- psychologists who were studying his work and they were recognizing um these same observations within their clients. And again, we're so thankful to have language that helped communicate and identify what they were also witnessing and experiencing within their, um, the clients that were coming in. So the next term um, that was also coined is called pathological alienation. This term was coined by Dr. Richard Warshak. Um, if anybody who has done a quick Google, he's another very popular um, psychologist in this field. He wrote a book called Divorce Poison, which I would highly recommend. So as I'm trying to make this <laughs> as clear as possible because it gets very messy. Everybody has a lot of opinions on it. Um, so let me go back a little bit. So because Dr. Gardner obviously had these um, very disturbing beliefs. And um, what happened is over time, abusers, the abusive parent started to learn about parental alienation, just like the target parents. And uh, of course, we know abusers are going to try to weaponize and exploit anything they can. And so um, over the decades, a lot of times you've seen abusers falsely accuse protective parents of parental alienation. And we'll get in the weeds a little bit on like how that happened and why. But, um, and so then you ended up with in particular, a lot of moms, again, this can be, um, this does happen for both moms and dads, but I'm probably will end up speaking more in terms of moms just because that's who I talk to. Yeah. And that's, that's who my probably your audience for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So you had a lot of moms who were being falsely accused of parental alienation when they were um, actually just the protective parent. As they were trying to understand what was happening to them, what is this kind of abuse? And they started to do research on, well, what is this parental alienation? A lot of them came across the works of Dr. Gardner. And of course, um, that flagged their concerns and kind of created... A, a movement and a narrative that um, this whole concept, parental alienation syndrome, is just completely false altogether. And they just wanted to throw out all of it and negate the whole, the whole concept because of that. M- mostly, yes. Okay. Um, and so I think, to be fair, I don't think they say that this kind of phenomenon that's happening in families um, is completely like doesn't exist at all, but they wanted to, they've 
created some other terminology, trying to put language, some other language towards this dynamic. So um, there was a, a woman, Alina Patterson, for example, in the early 2000s, she coined this behavior as domestic violence by proxy or DV by proxy. Um, some of your listeners may be very familiar with that term. Um, sometimes as over the last few decades, others have coined um, this behavior as coercive control. Um, another psychologist has coined it as attachment-based pathological alienation or pathogenic parenting. We can kind of get into the weeds on that a little bit if we have time. Um, so my point in saying that is, I don't think anybody is just flatly saying, no, this doesn't exist at all. But I think one of the ways that the women who were being falsely accused of parental alienation responded was to say, hey, we should just, let's give it a different label. And, and then it's only a matter of time till the same thing happens. And then exactly. With that label. Then yeah. what I, correct. I, I am concerned that I understand where they're coming from and right, I, right. I empathize and validate completely with um, just another form of abuse that they're experiencing. Um, however, for the women and the moms who are truly experiencing this kind of brainwashing alienation, um, it has really muddied the waters for them in their fight to try to educate family court professionals on what's happening in their family, what parental alienation really is and isn't. I think a lot of times family court professionals just roll their eyes and throw up their hands and yes, it becomes the yes. he said, she said again. So right. very similar to what we experience with, with just flat out abuse or domestic violence, like generic. Um, and, you know, you've got the, the moms who's trying to say, no, 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 trust me, this is a very violent, abusive, um, um, you know, ex-spouse that I'm dealing with. And then of course the abuser says, no, 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 she is actually the abuser. It becomes a very similar yes. um, argument. Well, the amounts, the amounts of lying, manipulating, gaslighting, projection, all that that's happening um, in courts with dear ones that I love that are going through this right now. It's baffling to me. And the system itself is mm -hmm. so broken and so flawed. Mm -hmm. And it is, you just feel like you could just throw up your hands and give up. And I know several women who are, you know, representing themselves in court mm -hmm. and because they don't have the resources to hire a lawyer and they're exhausted. I mean, they're pouring hours and hours and hours and hours of research mm -hmm. and time. They're doing the best they can, but at some point they're just like, I'm not making progress. I can't make myself physically ill. Um, let's backtrack just a sec and define the, the three profiles that are necessary for this to be happening. So there needs to be an alienating parent, a targeted parent, and then the victimized child. Can you just quickly like explain what each of those looks mm -hmm. like? Sure. Um, so yeah, right. So no matter, ultimately, no matter what you label it or which context you frame it in, these profiles of family members are experienced across the board in order to be defined as, you know, this kind of family violence. So you have an alienating parent. They are nearly always personality disordered. They are delusional and they are enmeshed with the child. They communicate that the target parent is a threat or is dangerous or abusive when that is not the case at all. You then have the target parent 
This is a very normal range parent. There is no history of abuse, no neglect, no substance abuse. They had a healthy attached relationship with the child prior to alienation. Mm. And then you also have the victimized child. This child has been influenced to believe that the target parent is truly dangerous or unloving and that the target parent has rejected them. They don't understand that. No, this target parent has left the spouse, but has not left the children at all. Right. They are being communicated. No, no, this target parent has left them as a unit, which um, that enmeshment of the alienating parent and child. And then the victimized child is dependent on the alienating parent and is overly responsible for the alienating parents. Asked to lie about or lie to that parent. Um, that's a very common thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Even putting them on the stand in court. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and asking them to testify and lie against their mama. Oh, I can't imagine that agony. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I think knowing these profiles is extremely helpful, especially for those who are being falsely accused of parental alienation and other professionals who are helping and trying to sort out, um, you know, is this alienation? Is this not what's going on? Because sometimes at the, at the absolute top first glance, tip of the iceberg, it may look like some of the behaviors are similar. Maybe if uh, someone who's being falsely accused, um, you know, might may communicate that the alienating parent is abusive, for example, to their child. But that does not mean that there's alienation happening. This is why you need to look at all the different factors for these profiles to see are they all happening? Because when someone's being falsely accused, you'll start to see, oh, well, hold on. There is evidence of alienating parent being abusive, for example. They are disordered. Oh, look, target parent um, has always had a healthy attached relationship. And they are a normal range. You know, they make mistakes, but that's within a normal range parenting um, profile. Does that make sense? Thank you for clarifying. I'm going to go back probably and make a whole nother set of notes because um, that makes so much sense that they had that healthy relationship prior. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between speaking truth about abuse that you've suffered versus the um, alienating parent making up lies about the targeted parent. There's a very big difference. Exactly. And when your children are older and can understand, they're going to have questions about why mom and dad are no longer together. Mm-hmm. And so you base the information you give them on their age and appropriateness and you mm-hmm. go and work with a counselor to help you understand like what kind of information you should or shouldn't give to your kid. You don't tell a two-year-old the same thing you would tell a 20-year-old. Exactly. So just speaking truth does not make you an alienating parent. Correct. Right. So that's a very good clarification. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Because, because those of us who have been through these things are sitting there going, Oh my gosh, was I that? Did I do that? You know, it's very different. It's very different to speak truth about abuse versus make up stuff and try to turn your child against the other parent. Those are two very different things. Absolutely. And, and the, the goal of the alienating parent and the target parent, or maybe I should say the goal of the alienating parent and the protective parent are completely different. Yes. 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 Um, So yeah, obviously the alienating parent isn't looking for protection of, of their child. Of course they're, they're 
just spewing lies and they're just looking to punish the protective parents and they're willing to use their children as weapons in the process. Right. So yeah, very different. So I know that you could talk about this for hours and hours <laughs> and all that we get to do today is like scratch the surface and mm-hmm. then send people to your resources. So the next point I have in my notes was from the second lesson you did. So what is the team of people that the targeted parent needs to have to assemble just to kind of have around her? I call this a village. Um, what do you recommend that that target parent, who does she surround herself with so she can move forward? Sure. Um, so I would highly encourage, um, this is the ideal is to have kind of two teams in a sense. Um, so one is like a legal team Mm -hmm. and then, um, one is a spiritual team, at least if you, you know, any of your listeners who are, who are faith-based. Um, so the legal team is going to be, um, the, utilizing the family court professionals if you when you can i know everybody's resources are a little different but some of the family court professionals that would be involved would be people like the judges mediators arbitrators attorneys custody evaluators guardian ad litems mm-hmm. rental coordinators forensic psychologists counselors therapists child protective services child advocates and even the police um if yeah, if any of your listeners are going through parental alienation, they have had a rude um, introduction probably with yes. all, all of these different yes. professionals who are involved. Um, and what I think is important to note in this is that DV experts and advocates and family trauma-informed experts are not generally on this list. They need to be, but oh. they're not on the list yet. When you... Um, For example, if you're having, you know, a a meeting with your lawyer and you guys are trying to brainstorm and what's happening and who do we need to get involved, a lot of times they're still not realizing this is domestic violence. And so we need domestic violence experts involved. This is family violence and family trauma. So we need family trauma informed experts involved in this case. So first of all, if you, if any listener, if you're able to, to get utilize these kinds of professionals, absolutely do that. That should be, um, I would actually, that is right on par with your lawyer before you involve any other professional, um, the DV expert in any kind of family trauma informed counselor expert is going to be a critical component for you. Very good. Um, then the other thing I, w- I would say within this legal team, and this gets this is where it just gets challenging, is that on the one hand, theoretically, the system is set up with these professionals to help you and to help the children. I would also throw out there to take the steps towards that when you can, but also take the steps lightly <laughs> and utilize a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment because also as survivors often know, when you involve third parties, that should help, that can sometimes make things worse because you have the alienating or abusive parent who is masterful um, at, you know, manipulating the third party. And all of a sudden everything gets spun and you're the bad guy and everything that was up is down and, you know, all, all of that. And so it just does require caution. I don't want to like not saying fear, but just caution, Mm. wisdom, when you start to involve the legal professionals, 
Um, again, the DV experts, family trauma informed, they are going to be more um, aware of these kinds of dynamics. But when you involve the other legal team, um, you know, they're not often or they're not always educated in this kind of stuff. So just again, just utilizing wisdom and discernment as you approach that, just because you start down a path, utilizing some of the, you know, whether it's a counselor or mediator or, or whomever, a guardian ad litem even, um, as long in the early stages of stepping towards that, you can always back out or, or you know, choose to kind of pivot and go a different um, path if, if necessary. And that can be quite helpful. Um, you are, you are the client, you are the consumer. So exactly. when you, especially with hired resources, like you always have the option if it's exactly. not working out to walk away. And then the spiritual team of support mm -hmm. that you would, um, this is something that I, I just really feel passionately about helping women understand who is safe and who is not. So what does that spiritual team look like? Sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's remembering that this battle is, is also a spiritual battle and being able to get any family, friends, advocates who, um, like you said, just like who, like your heart is to come alongside and to really carry them and kind of hold their arms up, so to speak, um, as they walk this battle. And I'm um, just speaking truth over them. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not, don't minimize what, um, what kind of help that can be for the um, alienating mom. Um, so speaking and advocating for her reputation or her character um, can be enormous help to her. Um, really, you're just battling in the areas in which the alienating parent is trying to weaken her. So anytime a, a spiritual team member, if you will, um, can look for practical ways to empower her, then you're really fighting back against what the alienating parent is doing. So it's super effective. So speaking and advocating for her, if possible, giving or um, raising funds, she has, like you said, um, you know, there's so many moms who are even having to go to court without a lawyer and represent yes, themselves. Yes. They're trying to like, they're trying to become essentially a, you know, a PhD and a lawyer and a, while know, they're going it. through the while trauma, going oh. through the trauma while they're trying to mm. hang on to their kids, while they're trying to parent their kids, right. while they're trying to work, while they're trying to maybe get new job skills. I mean, it is, it is just wow beyond imagination on what, on how many things these um, moms are having to carry at the same time. So anytime you can. A, a support family or friend who can come alongside of her and um, just give her some relief or empower yes. that approach is just enormous. And just helping her to see the truth. So one thing yeah. that really like began to shift for my healing and really accelerated my healing is when I started to recognize lies and flip them and say the exact opposite and do mm -hmm. it out aloud because the enemy cannot hear our thoughts. So mm -hmm. 
if I had this nagging thought because I was dealing with horrific chronic illness while the separation and the divorce and everything, and I was not able to function as a mom any longer, I just couldn't do for my kids. They were, they were older and they were pretty self-sufficient, but I loved to be a mom. I loved momming. That's a bird. Yeah. That's a yeah, bird. <laughs> of that. <laughs> and so I remember the the nagging thought, you're such a failure as a mom. And I started speaking aloud. I am a good mom. I am a loving mom. I am a protective mom. And the more that I did that, <laughs> the more I began to believe it. Yeah. And so cool. we help each other out in those blind spots when they, you know, we hear a woman speaking down about herself. I am such a failure. No, you're victorious. You get up every single day, you take care of your kids and everybody's alive at the end of the day. You are doing it. You're crushing it. Exactly. <laughs> like that's exactly. perspective. That's perspective. Um, The next thing I have in my notes is how can the targeted parent gain power for themselves and with their children directly? So this, these are some notes I wrote that this was so timely for me. So I had heard this said before, and I said it again to myself, just keep being you. Mom, just keep being yourself. Don't let the alienating parent change or dictate your interactions with your kids. Keep momming, keep loving, keep praying, keep showing up in big ways and small ways. So I say that to any mama right now who is in the thick of it. Just keep being who you are. Your character will shine through all this nastiness. Cherish, this was huge, and I think this was something you said, but I cling to this. Cherish the short times that are peaceful and begin to create new memories. There, These are victories. A short visit that's peaceful is far better than a long visit that is strife-filled. Yes. That is so important. Like, don't look at all the loss. Don't look at all the time you don't get with them and really make the time you have with them count. This really shifted my perspective. Self-care and getting your own healing is vital. The greatest gift you can give your child is your own healing. And that's physical, emotional, spiritual, all the ways. As they see you grow, heal, and gain ground, they will be drawn to that light and they are going to want the same thing for themselves. And I can testify to this. This is happening. And get your counseling, get into a supportive community, take care of your own health and wellness. Your kids need you to be well in your body, your mind, your spirit. This is where we remind women that self-care is not selfish. Yes. <laughs> your healing is necessary for your children to be well. And so I think sometimes we would feel guilty about pursuing this or using funds for counseling or using funds. But when we realize that this in the long term is going to help our children be well, we're like, okay, sign me up. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) We want to do it for us, but we'll do it for our babies. Right. Yes. That's often what we do. (laughs) So all, all of those things are ways that we can just speak over these mamas right now. Like take five minutes for yourself, take an afternoon for yourself, breathe and, my my plea right now is to anyone who would be listening, who is a helper, a family member, a church friend of a woman that's going through this. And I love what you said about why don't we as communities rally around these women and raise funds so mm-hmm. that they can retain a lawyer that knows what they're doing? Like, where is the church? That is the gospel in motion. It would be a game changer. Oh, it would be tremendous. Yes. For the moms. And then again, and then for the children. Yes. 
I, sometimes I feel like that gets overlooked somehow, um, especially in the, in the church. Um, I mean, obviously I think oftentimes the, the, the women can get overlooked and then even more so the children, but exact everything you just laid out exactly if you are empowering the mom you are empowering the yes child. yes and just say to the mamas this is not selfish you've got to care for yourselves and I understand that when you don't have a support community around you preaching about self-care is really frustrating um so we've got to do better so my message right now is more to the church the ones who call themselves christians which by definition is followers of christ mm-hmm. christ came to take care of and speak up on behalf of and defend the rights of the oppressed like that is core of who jesus christ is was and will always be and so the church let's do better let's take care of let's not Let's not take this neutral ground because neutral ground is always siding with the abuser. It always is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and when we see and we see behaviors, and if you're not familiar with the patterns of abuse and the systems of abuse, I have done an episode on the power and control wheel. I'm going to be doing um, an updated episode on the systems of abuse. So if you're out there and you interact with people and you aren't familiar with those things, get familiar because it's way more than broken bones and bruises. Way, way more. And Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping and praying that the church um, will just rise up, step up, and really start taking care of the oppressed. So we had discussed a little bit, and I would love to have you speak into this. Talk to these mamas out there who are separated right now in the throes of it and the wisdom of what they should and should not be doing on social media. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is something that I feel very strongly about. I have heard horror stories about things being um, pulled into evidence in court and being used as defamation of character against the abusive parent. Um, anything that's out there, anything that's out there, text, mm-hmm. uh, private messages, uh, public messages, private groups, anything that's out there, is it true? It can be pulled into evidence. Um, that's mostly true. (laughs) Okay. Tell Um, me like what has happened and where are they safe? Like what is the safe way to communicate their frustrations, to vent their feelings, et cetera? Where is that safe and where is that not safe? Right. Um, I think, I think again, this is just going to be another challenge that comes with dealing with an abusive, um, ex-spouse and an abusive court system often, um, because I, I understand that, um, you know, so many survivors take to social media because it's a way that they can finally begin using their voice. And on the one hand, I don't, I don't want to tell a survivor what they can or can't say because they're already, that's what they've been told. Right. Right. Their lives are during the, you know, duration of their marriage. And so, um, I understand that I'm just going to, make some suggestions on utilizing some wisdom and discernment as they go about that. Because as you said, one, um, anything, anything that you put out, really anything that the abuser can get his hands on, you know, the abuser is going to try to exploit that, of course, and choose that against you. So it does require wisdom. Do you want to use your voice? Absolutely. Are you sharing information though that can be exploited? Um, you may want to, you know, <laughs> slow down on that. 
Um, <laughs> but then at the same time, I understand you don't want to just feel like you're silent. So for example, on Facebook um, and other social medias, there's private groups where you can find those safe communities to share what's going on. Um, but you're sharing all that information in a way that um, the abuser can't directly um, get his whole hands on. Um, but we that, also, but we also know yeah. that there can be spies and moles sure. and fake accounts too. So yeah. even even in a private group, you still need to use discretion. Yes, there's yes. Usually, that's the short answer. There's a lot of wisdom. Yeah. That. I know some people use um, will create like anonymous accounts. And that mm -hmm. can be another way of, of combating that. Um, I mean, I guess the short answer is really to check in with your lawyer if you have one and your, cause every state is different and really every county is different. And I guess I wish I had better news, but honestly, yeah. every court can be different. Yes. Sometimes, you know, one, what one judge accepts another judge won't, what, what, you know, so it's really just utilizing tons of wisdom and discernment for your particular case. I know um, other survivors who, again, wanted to use their voice and they've done it in a very creative way. So they may not be divulging um, personal information about what they've walked, but they can talk about abuse. They can yes, yes. kind of talk about maybe even what they're experiencing in a way that wouldn't point directly back to them or to their spouse, I mean, their um, ex or their children. Um, so that can be a way of, you know, practicing um, using your voice and, and sharing what you're experiencing without, um, you know, without making it quite so obvious. And also the relationship with your kids. Yes. And like that, that is that my number one. Thing. Yeah. That yeah. is my number one priority is anything that could potentially come between me and my kids is, yeah. you know, so I'm going to share in generalities and I'm not even at a place where I can share my story yet. Right. Because my relationship with my kids matters more to me than anything. Right. And, and I think it's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, ultimately, I think it's just very respectful and keeping your children's stories in mind, like remembering, yes, what you're walking is your story. And that holds complete value, of course, mm -hmm. but also your children are individuals and they are having their own experience right, right. of this whole, you know, situation. And, um, you know, really, unless they give you permission, <laughs> like they probably don't want their story being told um whether that's publicly or through your eyes or you know in whatever way i think it's just um that can be an added damage even if you know you certainly didn't mean to do it that way but um, i think it's just best to either get permission from your children first on what you're going to share if you're going to share about them at all or um yeah, just again, kind of looking for other parts of your story that you can share that, um, you know, like you have the authority over, um, without sharing about something else. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and even just sharing about the other parent is going to yeah, affect the same. child. So exactly. yeah, and we need to like be long-term and, and think in the moment, like, is what I'm sharing something that is just going to let me vent, then go find your counselor, you know, mm -hmm. or is something that I'm going to share on social media going to be for my healing and for the healing of others. And, um, I just, I want to protect these mamas and I want to protect their kids. 
And I understand the need for getting it all out. And that's what therapists and counselors and, you know, trauma informed, domestic violence informed, like we, I'm going to do a more like spell out very clearly how to choose a counselor that is trauma informed and is (laughs) domestic violence informed. Uh, Not all of them are. Uh, but right. find, you know, that person or your best friend that you can just blah. Yeah. But social media is not ever really, honestly, not ever the place to blah because that can just come back to really bite you. <laughs> and I want to protect. I, I've heard of just stories where things were brought into court as evidence and used as defamation of character. And even if they're true, they can still be, you know, used as defamation of character. And I want to protect people that just don't necessarily see that. You know, you can't see, sometimes you can't see two inches in front of you because of your pain. And, um, you know, find your girlfriend, find your counselor, you know, go and say everything and anything you need to say to those people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But use social media as a place to educate people, to raise awareness, to advocate, and to be like more general, I guess, is the word, (laughs) you know, about abuse in general versus this is my specific thing until you're out of the woods, you know, until you're out of the legal parts and where it wouldn't come back to um, go against custody issues or yeah, I just, I want mamas to be able to keep their babies. Yeah. Oh, that's so important to us. So, all right. Well, we, oh my gosh, that went really, really fast. And we'll, we'll do this again because there's way more topics we could cover. Mm-hmm. But for right now, go ahead and tell people where they can find you and maybe one or two of your favorite resources on this topic. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Facebook as L Renee or my public page, which is L Renee Creative. That um, addresses all abuse-related information. And then you can find me at lreneestudio.com where I've just recently launched um, coaching sessions. I offer parental alienation consulting sessions as well. And very soon, um, I've been working on putting all this information together for a parental alienation course as That's well. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, Yeah. And then for anybody who wants to Google some more information, some of my favorites are going to be the High Conflict Institute. Um, There's a wealth of information on that website. And um, Dr. Childress, he he offers a ton of information on the pathogenic parenting that I mentioned. And then the book Divorce Poison by Dr. Richard Warshak. That really gets in the weeds for the parents who are like, this is awesome, but tell me what, give me some concrete action steps for how I can combat the alienation right now. He offers a ton. So those would be probably my top three off the top of my head. That's awesome. That's a great place to begin. So I will um, add some of that to the show notes. And ladies, um, as always, you're welcome to join us on Facebook. Uh, it's Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. That group is for women only just to protect and help women feel safe. And you can find me at heatherelizabeth.org. And Elle, I just thank you so much for your time. I'm excited for you and the new adventure you have in this marriage. Wow, that's exciting. And I wish you and your family all of the best as you continue on your healing journey. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I look forward to getting to see you in September. So bring it on. We're going to have some fun. All All right. right. Blessings. Have a great day. Thank you too.
And to all of you listeners, blessings to you. And we pray that you will feel held and healed. Blessings.